So we're starting off today with the ninth commandment, and I thought I'd start off with this uh, voicemail. This, is, off, this is Officer from Internal Revenue Services. We have been trying to reach you. This call is an official final notice call from Internal Revenue Services. The reason of the call is to inform you that IRS has filed a lawsuit against you. For more information, call immediately our IRS department number 2098134. Yeah, so this week I'm studying at CNT Collective and I get this missed call from a number I don't know and I call it back after I hear that voicemail um, because apparently the IRS has filed a lawsuit against me. You know how you've got to feel, because you know there's no due process with the IRS. Like the scariest word in the English language is audit. But lawsuit? Like I didn't even know that was a thing. And so I'm like, is somebody pranking me right now? What's going on? I go outside and I call the guy. Um, and a gentleman with a foreign, uh, really strong foreign accent picks up the phone. And I'm not trying to make fun when I say the foreign accent. I just want you to get the full effect. Um, he said... Uh, Hello, this is officer. Wait, I have it. I have the note. Because I took notes of this. It was officer David West with Internal Revenue Service. Is this James Larson? He sounded exactly like Kobayashi from The Usual Suspects. And um, I was like, yeah, this is James Larson. Sir, we have gone over your records, and you owe a lot of money to the IRS. A sheriff is going to come to your house and arrest you. You will be in jail for 20 days. And then you will go to court. Your whole family will see you arrested. <laughs> I was like, sir, I, I haven't received any notices in the mail about this. I had no idea that the IRS was filing a lawsuit against me. Do you think I am scamming you? Do you think I am lying? I am a liar. I am scamming you? Well, I didn't at first, but <laughs> long story short, he wanted 2,500 bucks to mail, mail to a certain address. And uh, once I mailed that in and they received payment, they would send an IRS agent to my doorstep to explain everything to me because I apparently was in the dark. But um, the moment I told him, I said, what's your badge number? He gave me a, a badge number for Daniel West. And I said, cool, I have to call back. Because, um, so I'm going to call the IRS and give them this badge number. And all of a sudden, I was, click, just totally dead on the other line. Yeah, so that's how my week went. Yeah, the ninth commandment, do not lie. Do not lie. Deception is so prevalent in our society. And it destroys our own integrity it destroys any sense of community and camaraderie with other humans and sense of family that we have. And it ends up destroying our witness to the world because when we are in deception, we're in the dark. We're in a broken place. So today, I'm hoping that as we take some time to discuss this ninth commandment, that you would receive some freedom from the perpetual hiding that is so prevalent in our society and I think in many of our lives. Do you receive freedom from the recurring brokenness within your soul, maybe within your relationships with others? 
and, and start to live a life that truly impacts the world around you. Let's go to a, a verse, uh, Psalm 15. Four, five verses, Psalm 15, one through five. And this psalm is essentially a working out of this ninth commandment. The psalmist is writing about what it means to tell the truth. Like the positive side of it, do not lie. The other way of saying this would be, be honest. Be a person of integrity. Speak the truth. And this is what Psalm 15 says. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth within his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors and fears the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that every one of us would be able to really be open and honest and freed today from deception, freed maybe even from the the self-deception that we can so easily fall into in our own hearts and the denial that can lead us to not even see life as it is, not see ourselves as we are. I pray that scales would fall from our eyes as they did with the Apostle Paul when he was baptized, that we would be confronted with your word of truth today, and that we would find life as a result, that we would leave here full and free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I remember early days of our first church plant, we were in downtown in the nightclub talking about Lent. We were getting ready to embark on Lent. And so at the end of the gathering, we were talking about, so what's everybody giving up for Lent? And somebody was like, I'm giving up, I'm giving up TV for Lent. Not going to do entertainment. Somebody else was like, I'm doing the Daniel fast. No meat for me. I'm just going grains and veggies and nuts and fruits. And then somebody else was like, I'm giving up lying. <laughs> and was like, huh? And, and Everybody was like, wait, what? You should probably just do that. (laughs) In general, you know, it doesn't take Lent to give up lying. Um, And I remember just just feeling super, super self-righteous at first. And then something happened where I realized over the next week, it really worked on me. Man, I, I lie a lot more than I thought I did. And we all in society lie a lot more than I think we care to admit, because essentially we're against lying, right? But secretly, I think covertly, we're kind of for it whenever we can use it for our own benefit. And um, the thing that happened that opened my eyes to it um, was, this, was this movie called Liar, Liar. And it's a deep, it's a profound view into the human soul and... Like, specifically, I remember the scene where Jim Carrey, has, his son has wished that his dad would just not be able to lie for one day. That was his birthday wish. You guys remember the movie? And he comes walking into the office, and that kind of rotund guy greets him, and he goes, hey, Fletcher. And he goes, he, oh, he says, what's up, Fletcher? And he goes, your cholesterol, fatty. 
Remember that? And you're like, oh, man. And then he keeps walking, and another guy's like, hey, Fletcher. And he goes, you're not important enough to remember. And he just keeps walking, and you're like, dude, that is cold. That is hardcore. And I know, for me, I was really judgmental of Jim Carrey at the time. And then I started to realize, because I was like, I don't have those thoughts. I don't think those thoughts about people, ever. And then, but if we're honest, how many of us, if we had that wish placed on us, would say things that would maybe hurt other people? You know what I'm talking about? When somebody like calls you and they're like, hey man, I'm busy this, or this weekend I need to move. I need somebody's help to move. And you're like, ah, oh, dude, I wish you'd called me a week ago and let me know because this weekend I'm so slammed. I would love to help you move. I really would, but I can't. Anybody? Is that just me? I'm the only jerk who does that. That's something we do all the time. We lie in little ways all the time. Our society is very comfortable in the world of deception. Uh, Pamela Meyer is a, um, she's an author and she's an authority in the world of deception and truth telling and lie spotting. And she says this, she says, Lying is prevalent in our society because we are used to lying and being lied to. Lying is a cooperative act. Think about it. A lie has no power in itself. Its power shows up as you choose to believe it. Right? And many lies aren't really meant to be malicious. They're white lies, you know. Um, Do these pants make me look fat? No, dear. Of course they don't, you know, which is never a conversation that's happened in my home, you know, or, oh man, I just found your email. It was in the spam box. I don't know how it got in there. We have these little white lies. I can tell I'm missing. I can tell none of you guys have ever struggled with any of this stuff. White lies. Stats are alarming though. Here's some statistics. You're lied to 10 to 200 times every day. That's a huge gap. (laughs) Hey, Wikipedia never lies, though. So, strangers lie. No, this is from Pamela Meyer's book. Strangers lie three times in the first 10 minutes of meeting each other. We lie more to strangers than coworkers. Extroverts lie more than introverts. Men lie, (laughs) they talk more. (laughs) Yeah, so by nature, they lie more. Um, men lie eight times more about themselves than others, and women lie more about others than themselves. <laughs> the average married couple lies to their spouse one of ten conversations. So, you see, we're essentially against lying as a concept, but then, like, whenever it's convenient for us, we're secretly for lying and in ways, our society has really sanctioned lying for centuries, hasn't it? Like, from, it's as old as breathing. It's part of our culture. It's part of our developing brain, um, our enlarged neocortex, as it were. The more developed the brain gets, the more lying and deception seems to happen. Um, this is Coco the gorilla. You guys might remember her. Um, Coco is the gorilla that was taught sign language. Uh, really famous gorilla. That's her kitten. She had a pet, pet kitten and um, very, very gorgeous little cat. Um, Coco once blamed her pet kitten 
for ripping a sink out of the wall. Yeah. So lying. We, we, um, we are hardwired to protect ourselves through deception. It starts early. How early does it start? I remember Gavin. Gavin, as a baby, like not even a year old, and he would cry and cry, and then he'd stop, and you'd see him look around to see who's watching and who's coming for him, and then he'd start crying again. Babies start crying, and they're essentially at times lying. One-year-olds learn concealment. Two-year-olds learn bluffing. Five-year-olds learn to lie outright. I'm five. I'm in Indianapolis, and my dad has this strict rule in the house, don't jump on the furniture. But today, I've got a cowboy hat on and my cowboy boots. I'm a little lawless, and I'm ready to have fun. So I, my dad tells me this story. He invites this really famous pastor and good friend over with his wife and this elderly couple from the church, and they come walking in the house, and there's young five-year-old Vince jumping up and down on the sofa. And my dad says, Vince, get down. And I turn to him, and I say, go to hell. True story. So here's what my dad says happens next. As he turns red, grabs me, starts to take me upstairs to my room to have a very stern, loving talk with his son, which may or may not have included a leather belt. Uh, As he's taking me upstairs, I said, Dad, what? What did I say? I said, go to jail. I said, go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. By college, we lie to our parents in one out of every five conversations on average. In the workforce, when we enter the world, we are like just cluttered with spam, fake digital friends, partisan media, world-class Ponzi schemes and identity thefts. And then you get, you know, the guys that get paid to lie to us with our own tax money called politicians. It's a deception epidemic, isn't it? Like, just think about the last couple of years. Last year, here's a stat for you, $997 billion spent in corporate fraud. Almost a trillion dollars in corporate fraud. So you start to think about things like Enron, or here's a name, Madoff. Or you think of the mortgage crisis. Or you start to think about our safety, and spies, and double agents, and again, politicians, and you start to think about this world that we live in, it's pretty freaky, isn't it? We live in a, what one author calls a post-truth society. There's a con man, his name was Henry o- Overlander, and uh, the British authorities said that he could have undermined the entire banking system of the Western world, yet you really won't find much about him. This is the only picture that anybody's ever seen of him. He was interviewed once, and this is what he said. He said, I've got one rule. Everyone is willing to give you something for whatever it is that they're hungry for. That's the crux of it, isn't it? Because we're all hungry for something. If you don't want to be deceived, if you don't want to be a willing participant, you have to know what it is that you're hungry for. I think we all wish we were better at something. I, you know, we wish we were better husbands or wives or, or, you know, parents. We wish that we had more money. We wish we had more success. We wish we were more liked, better looking, more admired, more secured, more powerful. 
Whatever it is that you wish for, that's your deception point. That's, that's essentially what sets you up. Whatever your deception point is, lying is an attempt to bridge that gap, to connect your fantasies, your wishes about who we wish we were, who we wish we could be, and what we are really like. So we fill in those gaps with lies. That's why we lie. And that reminds me of a story in, in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Of course, Adam and Eve have life, don't they? In the garden, they're created to have life. They have literally the tree of life that they get to freely eat of every day. I wonder what that tasted like, the fruit of life. It's curious. It tasted like chicken. Kiala says that. They have life, but they're not satisfied with it, are they? They want more. Adam and Eve, they, they take the tree of life for granted. It's always been there. Wouldn't it always be there? So we take the life we have. They have everything they need, and they take it for granted because they're not content, and they tried to add something. I want the life I have, the wholeness, the happiness, the truth that God's given me, and and something else. And the serpent comes. We know the story. Oldest story in the book. And what's the serpent do? He, he, he lies to them. He calls them on their phone and he says, listen, Eve, meet me at the tree. I want to talk to you about something. And in that moment, I want you to think about this. When you look around you at the world around you today, Everything that you don't like about the world around you, if you don't like the way that people are starving, if you don't like the poverty, if you don't like the deception, if you don't like the brokenness, guess where it all started? It all started with a lie. Everything started because we believed a lie. They believe the lie that there was more out there somehow than having everything. So they take their life for granted and they chased a lie. And what did they discover? Did they, did they gain anything? No, they, they didn't gain anything and they lost the only thing. that They lost life. They lost everything. So they, what did they do as a result? They cover up. They conceal. They blame shift. They point fingers. And they enter into this world of deception. And it's the same thing with us, guys. We lie because we believe lies. We lie because we believe lies. We believe the oldest lie in the book that telling a lie will somehow add to your life. So let me ask you a question, and let's dialogue about this for a second. What might be some things that we are searching for when we lie? What might be some things we're searching for when we lie? Some things we don't believe we have already that we need to lie in order to get. David. Mm. Yeah, we want people to think well of us. We want acceptance and approval and, and yeah, relational harmony and that type of stuff. Yeah, definitely. What else? What are some other things we might be seeking? Yeah, Naveed. Mm, we don't want to hurt them, so we soften the blow. Yeah. What else? Brian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you're really, you're really broken and you see yourself, but you don't want other people to see that, so you project a false image of yourself out there into the world. Yeah, Marco. You think nobody's going to see it. Yeah, it's so true. What are some other reasons we lie? What are some things we're looking for when we lie? Erica. Comfort. Yeah. A, a life that we wish we had, that we don't, we don't feel like we're provided for enough. We don't feel comfortable enough as we are. So we're looking for comfort and we have to lie in order to get it. Yeah. Anything else? I'm sorry? Control. Yeah. I want to be in control. Master of my fate. Yeah. I want to be in control. I want the security that comes with feeling like I'm in the driver's seat of my life. So I'm willing to lie in order or deceive or enter into deception in order to get that. Yeah, what else? Preservation of our own identity, how we think we'd like to look. Great. Yeah, anything else? Freedom. Lie to get freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. Man. And that could be comfort, like freedom in comfort, freedom in control, freedom in a lot of things. That's great. Anything else? <clears throat> Fear of letting them down, right? And oftentimes it's kind of folded back on us, isn't it? Because it seems like really, really loving for them in the process. Like I really, I want them to not be let down, but ultimately it's that we don't want them to think we let them down, Right? So it comes back to us. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things we're chasing after and looking for when we lie. So we believe the lie that we are not provided for, that we are not loved, that we're not approved of. So we go out seeking success and satisfaction and security, and we seek them in our way and in our time, often through lying. And like Adam and Eve, we lie because we believe lies. When we believe lies, we don't trust, right? We, we don't trust that the truth will get us what we want. So we feel like we have to lie. We don't trust really that other people can love us and accept us as we actually are. So we lie. We don't trust that God is actually who he says he is. So we lie because we don't trust. And just a, a brief note about that. When you look at the world around us, and we hate the deception and brokenness out there, but that lack of trust that we have is what perpetuates that world. It's what keeps our world full of deception and brokenness in society. And it starts to wear on us. I think the first thing lying attacks is our own integrity, who we are within, within ourselves. It's that slippery slope of, you know, like me, the five-year-old me jumping up and down on the couch and lying to my dad. We become lawyers. We become lawyers who were like, okay, that's the rule. Now, what are the exceptions? And we start to find every exception in the book when it comes to lying. And so what's the escape clause? What's the situation ethics? Well, Vince, you say lying's bad, but think about this. What if you're Anne Frank and you're in World War II and the Germans are coming? And they say, are you hiding anybody in your, in, in your closet? Wouldn't you lie? Yeah. Just to save you the suspense, I, w I would. <laughs> but here's the deal. Right now, you're not hiding anybody in your closet. <laughs> and the Nazis aren't coming. And what we do is we take a principle like that and we say, well, if it applies there, you know, for the sanctity of human life, then, you know, when my neighbor calls and asks me if I can help him move... 
you know, I want to preserve his life. So it's okay to lie. And we boil this, this random abstract situation ethic down into the everyday, and it becomes a slippery slope, doesn't it? We get more and more comfortable in a world of deception. And it starts to break down community, because like we just said, you guys were just telling me, man, one of the things that happens is I start getting comfortable projecting a false image of myself out there into the world, and then I have to live up to it. And all of a sudden, the type of healing that God wants to do in your life as we come, like, come out into the open from behind the proverbial fig leaves that Adam and Eve were wearing, and they come out into the open and say, this is who I actually am. I want to be known as I am with my struggles, with my brokenness. We're scared to death to do that. I think every one of us struggles with that in some way. And guess what happens? When we hide in the shadows and we hide in the dark, we don't receive the healing that is yours in Christ, that can be yours. And you know what else? The community doesn't receive that kind of room of grace feeling that God is sovereign and God is gracious enough to forgive and we can forgive one another. So we end up having the Sunday morning kind of a church where we throw on the rad clothes and we clap to the choir and then we go out on Monday and we live our real life. That's the kind of broken community that lying and deception has. And you know what? That destroys our witness to a watching world. The world is looking for light. It's stumbling around in the dark. Our friends, neighbors, coworkers, they're yearning for people of integrity. But when we're no different, we're not letting our light shine, are we? And so lying even though it starts small, even though it seems insignificant and it's just a little white lie, quickly, it's, it's a snowball effect, if you will, turns into an avalanche of destruction and brokenness in our lives and in our world, and that's the kind of world we live in. And all this goes back to how we view God, ultimately. We said that we lie because we're looking for, we said some things, uh, approval, success, security, value, all these things. We lie because of that. What's that say about who we really see ourselves as? Well, we're people that don't have success. We don't have security. We need something. So it starts with believing lies about who we actually are because that's not what the good book says we are in Christ. And then where does it go from there? We start looking to something to save us. What's my functional savior? What's going to fix my life? My work of deception. Right, we, I don't think many of us are sitting back there scheming, though. It just kind of happens to us because we live in that world. And we start to realize, oh, my gosh, I'm looking for life by projecting this false image, by lying at work, by doing these things that I really wouldn't. If I saw somebody else do them, I would totally judge them for it. But they, here I sit doing it myself. And we're looking for that. And ultimately, that goes back to what we believe about God, who we believe God is. So let me ask you this. We said we're looking for security in lying. Let me ask you a question. Let's dialogue one more time briefly. What does that say about how we view God? He doesn't provide. I need provision. I got to figure out how to get it. I don't trust God to give it to me, so I'm going to go out there and get it myself. You see the false gospel? False identity of who I am, false belief in what's going to save me, false belief in who God is. It all tracks backward. Yeah, what else? What are some other things that we might view God as? Brian. He doesn't see. 
He's absent. Yeah, the deist God, right? He sets up the ant farm and then takes off and comes back and visits every once in a while. Yeah. What else? Ashley. Yeah, he cares more about the end result than, than how we get there. So he's willing to just put us through hell and beat us up, but he doesn't actually care about us in the process. He only cares about the end result. Hmm. And the truth is we do know that God cares more about our ultimate well-being than he does our momentary well-being. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care about our well-being. It doesn't mean he's not weeping with us through the process of life as we struggle, right? God cares. God sees. God provides. Let's look at a couple scriptures. Yeah. Mm. We don't feel like we can be honest with God. We don't feel like we can be upset. You read the Psalms and you see psalmists getting frustrated with God even, don't they? But then they always pull it back around to worship. You see Job struggling with how he views God, but then he catches himself. And it always comes back around to worship and seeing God as he actually is. Yeah, but we don't feel like God is gracious enough to let us be honest with him. We're scared. He's a tyrant. He's Zeus up there with lightning bolts ready to strike, right? It's funny, I, this is nothing to do with the sermon, but this week I was talking to somebody, and he was like, hey man, I couldn't come to your church on Sunday, God strike me dead, or light the place on fire. Where do we get that idea? <laughs> the father heart of God with lightning bolts. <laughs> we don't trust him. And that's the key. That's the key because we can know that God says all this stuff about himself, but we can still believe the lie that he's not what he says he is because we don't trust his heart. Adam and Eve knew what God said. But then the serpent comes and says, hey, has, has God really said? The serpent comes and twists the truth. Listen to this. and Actually, I'm going to flip these scriptures, Matt. Uh, so uh, James 1, 16 through 18. Listen to this description. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, God is a provider. He's a dad. That's what this is saying. He's relational. He cares. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of what? Truth. The word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Listen to that description of God. Now listen to this description. This is not a description of God. This is Jesus talking in John 8. He says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's a hardcore verse there. But you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying Satan's native tongue is lies. When he speaks, he automatically lies. It just flows out of him because that's what's in his heart. That's who he is. 
And contrast that to our God, who is the father of, not lies, but the father of lights, in whom is no shadow of turning. He's pure truth. Is that word integrity? Those math geeks among us, you, you might recognize that it's the same root word of the word integer, which is one, whole, united. God has perfect integrity. God is one. He's whole. He's per truth. So I want you to ask yourself a question, honestly. Who do I more resemble, the father of lights or the father of lies? That's a hardcore question. But one of the biggest ways that we deceive is, is ourselves, right? So ask yourself that. My life this week, my conversations as I've hung out with people, who did I look more like? And then ask yourself this. This is a great clarification for those of us struggling with what lies are okay to tell and not. Because right in the middle of the psalm, he talks about loving our neighbor and not doing any harm to our neighbor in verse 3. So am I loving God and others with this? Do you see that? Like, what this verse is saying is that we're creatures of the word. Go back to the uh, verse in James. We're creatures of the word. We've been made alive by the word of truth. And the very nature of this new creation is taking root in you. Truth, wholeness, integrity. And that means that you get to live a life that's full and free, the life you were created for. And God calls us to live in light of his truth. Not to, Every sin that you struggle with, every negative emotion that you have in your life that recurs Every one of them goes back to false beliefs about who God is and about what he's done for you and who you are in him. What's the Bible say? They will know the truth and the truth will make them what? Free. How many of you guys want to live free today? All right, so let's get into some good news. What, what do the people look like who, who really dwell with God in his presence, who have that sense of home? This psalm said some things. It said that they walk blamelessly, that they do what's right. They do no wrong to their neighbor. They don't slander. They tell the truth even when it hurts. And they don't shift. They don't conceal. They don't minimize. They don't try to hide. How? What's happening within them? Well, verse 2 says, if you go to, I'm sorry, Matt, making you jump all over that Psalm uh, 15, verse 2 What's it say is happening within them in their life? They speak the truth within their heart. I'm just going to come out and say it. Every day, you are surrounded by lies, and every day, you're telling yourself lies if you're not careful, if you're being informed by things that are not gospel-centered. Every day whether it's commercials you're listening to, whether it's, you know, you, your life could be perfect if you just had this corona, you know, whatever. Whether it's people in your life who you're having dialogue with that their life is mistakenly informed by something that's not based on truth and they're talking to you and they're giving you opinions. We can easily, and guys, when we hear something repeatedly, we believe it. So what are you listening to? What is informing your life? 
Because that's what's going to be what transforms your life. Whatever's informing your mind will invade your heart and will transform your actions, whether it's truth or a lie. Are you in the word? Are you reading the word of truth? If we're made alive, the verse said in James, by the word of truth, like, are you going back to the source of life? Flipping through it and reading the word of truth. Or are you being deceived? Are you a willing participant in the deception that is rampant out there? Because I guarantee you, there's a lot more deception out there than there is truth, ripe for the picking, every day. So are you speaking the truth of God in your heart? That's what it says. And it says also in verse 4 that they honor and fear the Lord. So what happens as a result with these people who do not lie? They don't get caught up in deceit. They speak the truth in their heart. They honor and fear the Lord. What happens? They dwell in the house of God. And that doesn't mean like, doesn't mean like the building that the church meets in. It means that they dwell in the presence of God and they shall never be moved. How many of you would like that? Yeah, that's good news. That's real good news. So they walk blamelessly. And here's the deal. When you get a right view of God, you see God as he is, you see what he's done for you in Christ, and you see who you are recreated to be, this new creation that's taking root in your life, right? That you are, you are a dearly loved child of God. You're no longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God. When you start to really see that and really believe that, it sets you free. It sets you free to live in the truth. It sets you free to live in community and, and, and live in a way that sets the world free where people that are hurting and struggling look on. I mean, look at that picture of Psalm 15 and then look at your workplace. Look at the school that you're part of. Look at your neighborhood. Is that what we see surrounding us? People who, who are living this life? No, it's a broken world full of deception. Our world is craving people of integrity our world is craving authentic community where I can just be loved and fully known and fully accepted unconditionally as I am. Our world is craving a culture of truth and beauty and wholeness. Like, we were created for that. But, where do we see it? How do we get there? How do we begin to believe it's even possible? You say, man, I'm, I'm tired. I've tried. I've failed. Where's the hope? How do we get there? You have to look at Jesus. As we start to wrap this up, I just, I just want to do a, a simple exercise, and that is look at Psalm 15 and look at Christ through that psalm. Because you see the gospel all over it, right? Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we see the only one who ever actually fulfilled this law. Jesus dwelt in his father's tent. He lived in the luxury of heaven. He left all of that. That's what we're celebrating Christmas for. Every year we celebrate Christmas, we remember that Christ, all for love's sake, became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. He left his heavenly abode. Why? Why did he come? To live blamelessly. To do what was right, like the psalm says. How did he do that? Wasn't Jesus tempted? Yeah, remember? Just like Adam the devil came to Jesus in the wilderness and he twisted God's truth. And he tried to get Jesus to give in and to sin and to believe a lie. But what did Jesus do? Anybody remember what Jesus did in response to Satan? 
What's that? Yeah, he spoke the word of truth to him, didn't he? Yeah, Satan, you can try to twist God's word, but let me tell you what it really says. Every time he was tempted, he spoke the word of truth in his heart. People hurt him, people lied about him, people betrayed him, but even though he had every right to judge them because he was the only one who was perfect, he never slandered. He never did evil to his neighbor. He never took a reproach against his friend. This is all what the psalm says. Jesus fulfilled this. He showed sinners their way and Pharisees their hypocrisy. He spoke the truth in love and they hated him for it. And when they took him to be judged and executed falsely, then this commandment says that we're not supposed to bear false witness against our neighbor. That's what happened to Jesus. How did he respond when they lied about him? When they took him to be judged, he spoke the truth to his own hurt, and he did not change. So because he lived the truth every day in his life, lived a life of integrity, he had this unshakable reward. Jesus earned the right to dwell in the presence of the Father forever. Jesus earned the right to never be moved and never be shaken. But then he laid that down and traded places with us. And the gospel is that Jesus went to the cross and took on the, every broken lie you've ever told, every moment of deceit that you've ever participated in, the things you look back in your past and you're ashamed of and you don't want people to know, the false images of yourself that you project out there, the lies that you've believed that have led to death in your life and brokenness and addictions and hurt. He took the weight of all of that on the cross and he died in your place so that you could have freedom. The gospel is that everything that Jesus had is now yours. So the success you're looking for that leads you to lie, you have it because of the gospel. You're fully loved and accepted. You're a child of God. You're no longer a slave to fear. The, the comfort that you're looking for, the satisfaction, you have that in the gospel. It's yours now, and it will be yours fully one day. You don't need to chase after satisfaction through, man, addictions, whether it's, whether it's chemical addictions or porn or anything that would lead you down a life of brokenness, you're free from that. The gospel set you free because you have everything that was Christ's. It is yours now. You don't need to lie. You don't need to believe lies. And on top of that, it doesn't stop there. The cool thing is he said, it's better that I leave because what? I will send my Holy Spirit. The very same spirit that empowered Jesus for his earthly ministry that empowered him to live a life over sin, to never lie, to believe the truth. The Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth is living in you if you're a believer. You are filled with the very power of God to overcome. So today, we get to take an honest assessment of our life and really look and say, man, I really, I'm sick of the lies. I'm sick of being fake. I'm sick of seeking life in a world of deception. I want to find a full and free wholeness within my life, a deep life-giving community that's authentic and real where I can just be me, where I can be known as I am without the masks. 
And I want to see the world transformed and drawn to our God of truth. It's yours today. That's the gospel. It's good news. You're free. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to take communion. And we get an opportunity to practice this. This isn't in my notes, but I was just thinking about the fact that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they hid and they covered up. You know, you know what helped them get out from behind the fig leaves? God came, and God told them the truth in love. But then what does he do? He slays an animal and covers them with the skin of the sacrificed animal. You don't have to hide behind your own works and your own fig leaves and project that image anymore. You're free because of the grace of God. Jesus Christ was sacrificed, and you're covered in his righteousness. You're free to be real around the communion table today without judgment, without fear. And you can take hold of that. I want to challenge you to try today. If you're new and you're uncomfortable, don't worry about it. You can hang out in your seat. We're going to get together and sing a song in about five or ten minutes anyway. Close out and dismiss. But if you're part of this community or if you'd like to try it out today and you believe the gospel, come on down. Get around with two or three other people and share what's really going on in your heart. I want to keep the group smaller today so we can all have a time to share. Two or three people, if that's okay. And try to get with somebody and, and share, what's re- share yourself. Share your brokenness and let them remind you of the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ, his perfect righteous life lived every day in the flesh, was broken for you and given to you. You don't need your own works righteousness. You're covered with a very small cracker. Seriously, you're covered. This is just an image that his blood was poured out to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. You are forgiven totally right now. You get to walk in the truth. You're more broken than you ever would like to admit, but you're more loved and accepted because of Christ than you ever dare believe right now in this moment. So come and proclaim the truth, the word of truth to one another's hearts. I'm going to pray. Dad, thank you so much for loving us enough to send your son that we're celebrating here at this Christmas time, not just a baby in Bethlehem, but the very Savior of the world, the God of truth, the man who walked in perfect integrity and wholeness and oneness his whole life, who lived in the light. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and we get to come to you today, Father, through him because of his work on our behalf. We don't deserve it. It is grace that we've been saved by. Convict our hearts today, Holy Spirit. Draw us to believe the good news of the gospel and experience the life and freedom that you purchased for us with the death of your son. We love you. We thank you. And I pray that you would move Holy Spirit in our hearts over the next few minutes as we pray. Give us freedom because of who you are, the truth of who you are. Give us freedom because of what you've done for us and who we actually are as a result today to actually come down here and be real and honest and authentic in Jesus' name. Amen.